Hello, my wonderful listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about all things related to sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm excited to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, me talking all about sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack as it does help to keep the mics on and the content going, or you can pop over to Apple and rate and review. You can also drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast if you want to have a chat about any of the topics. So my guest today is talking about a really important conversation. I think, you know, it's long overdue in so many different areas and I think our understanding of it needs to improve quite a lot. So that's the topic of reproductive justice. So I'm talking to Irma Garcia, who is a certified sex educator in Texas and she's client service manager at Jane's Due Process, where she helps Texas minors exercise their reproductive rights to an abortion. And prior to joining this team, she graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. and She was a sexual, sexual health and abortion counsellor at a local Austin clinic, as well as a birth doula. She's a strong and local, strong local national voice with a professional background in acknowledging and centering sexuality and reproductive justice issues in marginalised communities. And in her free time, she enjoys reviewing sex toys and publishing sex ed information on Instagram to culture to cultivate a culture of pleasure and wellness in the deep south without stigma. She strongly believes that when black, indigenous and other people of colour experience pleasure on their own terms, it's an act of protest, but most importantly, self-care. And I couldn't agree with you more. Welcome along, Irma. How are you keeping today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. I've been stalking you on Instagram for quite a while, so it's lovely to kind of get to chat in person. Your work is so valuable. Yeah, thank you so much. I love how we have this Instagram community and meeting the people that we have um, as friends on the other side of the phone is so cool. (laughs) I love that. The joys of modern technology, I suppose, keeping us all connected until Instagram shuts us all down. But look, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So exactly the joys. Um, So I suppose to dive in for those who don't know what will you explain what the concept of reproductive reproductive justice is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So reproductive justice is a concept that was um, founded by a group of black women Um, They are now called Sister Song, and they define reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children that you do have um, or want to have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, So basically, in shorter terms, reproductive justice is the value of being able to have bodily autonomy in a safe environment. So that includes environmentalism, um, that includes um, reproductive rights, environmental justice, um, having basic medical insurance or medical care, having a job, having a safe environment to live in um, with your family members, whatnot. Um, So it encompasses absolutely everything that a person may need whenever they are living in this world and not just living to survive, but living to thrive. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just here's your baseline. It's bringing people along a bit further than that. So it's a lot more than just maybe access to contraception. Absolutely. That is the bare minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And free contraception. I know over here, you know, if you're paying for contraception, sometimes the LARCs, the long acting reversible contraception can be quite expensive. Like the implant can be about 300 euro, which in dollars is like 260 or something like that. So that's very expensive for quite a lot of people. I know you only have to pay for it every three years or or whatever it is, but that's, that's still a massive chunk of money to quite a lot of people. So yeah, out of the the realm as well so I love that you included all like the things like housing and actually raising your children in a safe environment as well that's really important exactly um for marginalized communities 
um, environments are very important. Unfortunately, um, folks who are poor or in the working class um, are only have access to certain communities. And I'm sure this is, um, and this is obviously true all around the world um, where you can only afford a certain apartment, a certain area in town. Um, and those areas may not be the best areas that the city, um, the, the local city government is taking care of. The, the water condition may not be the best. Um, it actually may be the worst. Um, there may be food deserts where they have to travel long distances in order to get your, you know, your basic groceries. Um, and if you have to travel that far to get basic groceries, just imagine how far you have to travel to get medical care. Mm -hmm. um, and reproductive care is obviously within that, but reproductive care isn't always included in your basic medical care or like at your um, basic decision to get, you know, physical. Okay. So all of that is um, part of the movement of trying to get all of these things included um, not just like, you know, your regular birth control. It's like all of these things are needed in order to not just survive, but again, to thrive. Absolutely. So yeah, that sounds like it's that all-encompassing holistic approach to fertility and, and just like basic human rights as well, of like human dignity as well, that you don't have to rely on handouts or, you know, you have the power to decide when you want a family and how you want a family and also the ability to raise that family out of poverty as well. Exactly. Um, and that just, that conversation just goes deeper into breaking down barriers, breaking down um, all of these things that are preventing folks to have access to these things. Um, unfortunately, between racism and capitalism, all of these things um, are in between where, okay, if you are black or indigenous, you may have the worst possibility to get um, not just birth control, but get a good housing situation, get um, the ability to have um, access to good food. Um, and then if you're on the other end of the spectrum where um, you have the financial ability to have all of these things. The statistics show that even if you are black or, indig or indigenous and still have the financial means, unfortunately, the maternal mortality rate, at least here in Texas, it's still intense to the point where even your uh, most well-off black women are suffering from maternal mortality rates or infant maternal mortality rates. So there's a bunch of different aspects that go into this conversation as well. And, and that's there's research to show that that's the same in Ireland as well. Uh, the maternal deaths here are mostly migrant women and in the UK as well, that, that the maternity deaths are, are people of colour as well. And I think there, you know, still the same racism in the medical system of, of not believing, you know, black people's pain or, you know, if they're reporting that something is going wrong. So um, it, it's clearly a worldwide issue. It's it's not just an American issue. As some sometimes we kind of think it's very separate. It's actually a global thing. Exactly, anti-blackness is global. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have a long way to kind of look at things. Well, I suppose, and the reproductive justice movement then as well is really it was founded by black women. Am I correct or? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, that obviously like it's recognizing that racism is a part of, you know, of access to justice as well. But can you explain what the difference is then between the concept of reproductive rights versus reproductive justice? Yeah. Reproductive rights. Um, talk about your basic reproductive rights when it comes to birth control, um, sex education, um, reproductive health. Um you're looking to get um, maybe fertility treatments, if you're looking to get birth control, if you're looking to get, you know, cervical cancer screenings, you know, your um, it encompasses all of that. With reproductive justice, um, like we were talking about earlier, it encompasses the other societal factors that affect your reproductive health. So um, as you were talking about migrant women, um, it encompasses immigration justice. Um, 
environmental justice, uh, ending incarceration. Unfortunately, folks who are incarcerated, their reproductive rights are also very limited. Um, queer justice, people who are not, uh, it's not just women who have abortions or require birth control. It encompasses um, paid parental leave to be able to, if you do wanna have children, being able to have the ability to have paid parental leave will allow you to recover properly, will allow you to spend some time with your children, um, get everything you need to get in order before you go back to work. Unfortunately, not a lot of people have that. That is considered a privilege when it should be a right, a human right. Um, that also encompasses accessible abortion um, when folks don't have the ability to get an abortion when they want it. Um, it unfortunately affects their entire life. You're basically sentencing someone to parenthood when they don't want to be or they don't have the ability to be a parent um, in the United States. And this is also something that happens all around the world. Abortion rights are attacked everywhere. Um, specifically in the context where I live, um, the Deep South is affected the most because it's the Bible Belt. It's super religious, meaning um, that this part of the country tends to get attacked from a religious standpoint the most than any other part of the country. So um, folks who need an abortion and are not close to a clinic may not end up getting an abortion because they can't travel because they don't have the means to, they don't have financial um, the financial ability, the financial ability to travel, they don't have transportation, all of those things. And those um, aspects translate to everything else that you're needing for reproductive health. So if you need transportation to go to your cancer screening appointment, that in and of itself is talking about how people need more than just that appointment to go to the doctor, um, the means to get there and all of that. And then in some areas in certain parts of town, um, the bus doesn't even go there or the transportation system is just horrible. Um, all of these things are part of what affects someone's ability to access those reproductive rights. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. We we had some well, it's kind of similar in Ireland. Um, when abortion was only legalized in two thousand eighteen, and before that, um, people had to travel to the UK, um, to get abortions, and obviously you've got to pay then for the cost of the flight. You've got to get to the airport from wherever you are in the country. You've got to take time off work. You may have to pay for a hotel over in the UK unless you can do a same day kind of procedure and get back on that. That might not be possible if things go wrong or whatever happens. So it was completely inaccessible to so many people. And even now that we do have abortion, there's still, it's still, we still have people having to travel because it's not as inclusive um, of all cases like we would like it to be. So, you know, we're celebrating that we, that we finally got abortion two years ago, but it's still not as um, extensive as, where reproductive justice might like to see it situated. So yeah, we, we definitely had that experience over here. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great example about how legality is just the bare minimum. I, like 100%. Making um, these reproductive rights legal is the bare minimum because how are people going to access these rights if the accessibility piece is not there? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it would the intersectional part of that is, you know, I think a lot of people. So when we brought in abortion rights here, you have to have a three day waiting period. So you make one appointment with your doctor and then you say, I want an abortion. And then you have to go away and think about it for three days and then come back and then get your appointment. So an appointment is 60 euro normally for a GP or 70, something like that. Um, but if you are disabled and you've got to make that long journey to your doctor, you know, that's and, and you've got to do that twice within three days. That, that can be quite inaccessible to a lot of people. And I think disabled people got left out of these kind of conversations that we were having about access. And, you know, perhaps if you need a carer with you, do you have to pay for two flights to the UK then and two hotel rooms and, and things like that? And I don't think 
that conversation gets put in. I think it's very much a able-bodied white middle-class person sometimes that, that's at the center of some of these conversations. Absolutely. Disability justice is part of reproductive justice. Um, all of those aspects of this conversation um, include all of that, include the most marginalized, the most affected, um, because just like I, I echo what you said, it's not just making it legal, it's making it accessible. Um, and for folks who are disabled, that speaks volumes about how you may need someone else to go with you as well. So you're not just paying for one abortion, you're probably going to end up paying for almost two when um, you need someone else to go with you, you need to pay for a hotel, you need to pay for medication, not just basic medication for your procedure or whatever appointment you're going through, you're also having to pay for other things that you're um, dealing with in regards to your health. Um, it, it's a great example. Thank, thank you for mentioning that. It's a great example of how all of this just intersects. Absolutely. And there's there's so much to it, even things like trans people or, you know, non-binary people. And how, like there was a very valid criticism of the abortion rights campaign here that they were very exclusive and exclusionary of trans and non-binary people, because I think their goal was like, we just want to get it over the line. And they were, you know, the, the poster people were all white people, essentially. So there wasn't the diversity and there was heavy criticism that was very justified of the, the lack of a, a inclusion um, for people. But would the repo justice, repo justice movement be very inclusive that way of saying, can we use like non-gendered -gen language? Can we be very inclusive of the fact that trans people exist and are maybe even more marginalized than, than others in trying to get healthcare? Exactly. Abortion forward language is um, part of breaking down that stigma and breaking down um, that idea that only women have abortions. And um, we have, I, I, I love this quote from um, Angela Davis, where she says that we have to work towards the work towards the world we want. Like if we can imagine it, we can achieve it. It may not be in this lifetime or in the next generation's lifetime, but working towards it is what is important. And so um, I've heard that um, that part of the, discourse where people talk about like we, we just need to get abortion legalized or you know get it across the line yes however it it leaves out a big piece of the conversation when we're only making it legal for women um other people need abortions too and other people need this access and that is one of the main reasons also why reproductive justice was created to give a voice to the most marginalized, which is the black woman. And then once the black woman has all of these rights guaranteed, that tends to create a ripple where everyone else gets rights. Until then, we're kind of all screwed. <laughs> Yeah. cries a little bit <laughs> just just a little bit yeah well and you know with this isn't airy fairy concepts like there's actual research to say that like you know in in countries I suppose we would have called them developing countries I'm sure there's that's probably not the right term anymore but countries that have been obviously you know there there's a lot of poverty and things but where women are given proper access to reproductive care like the rates of poverty in the country absolutely go down and then the rates of education go up the rates of women entering the workforce go up and it just it, it improves society absolutely overall and there's so much research to say this so it doesn't sometimes it's kind of bizarre of going it makes sense to do this <laughs> you know why are we not doing this yet you know that is the million dollar question <laughs> that we all ask ourselves in this movement. It's, it's um, something that we see, yet it's something that it's very controversial when it doesn't need to be, but um, it is, unfortunately. Um, and while even if we give everyone birth control for free and all of that, abortions are still going to happen. And that's not a big point that we still need to talk about where like, it doesn't matter if we have the best sex education in the world, all of the birth control in the world, and it's free for everyone. 
abortions are still going to happen. And the most important piece of this is to destigmatize it. And if it happens, it happens and it's needed. And it's something that it's just another medical procedure. And unfortunately, it's not seen that way. But that's another piece of this conversation. It's, it's just, you know, a big uh, spectrum yeah, of everything. Absolutely. <laughs> no. A negative spectrum, unfortunately, for a lot. But yeah, but that's absolutely right to, to correct, to raise that point, because it's, you know, a lot of the conversations we had in campaigning for abortion rights here were like, well, just use condoms. And it's like, well, condoms break sometimes or, you know, your pill doesn't work or like people have gotten pregnant on like IUDs and implants and, and all sorts of weird and wonderful ways that you can get pregnant like this. This happens and it's probably more common than we think. It's just maybe people keep it quiet so we don't know the true rates of it because of that stigma and that feeling of, oh, my gosh, like I did everything correct in inverted commas. But yeah, this still happens. So. Do you think that that would be great to bring that into sex education to go, here's all these options, but be warned, they may all fail on you at some point? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a great point because with the people, the the community that I help, um, which is all minors, um, they're still learning about like birth control and their bodies and whatnot. And that's a big piece of um, the conversation that I have with them. Um, we research different methods of birth control. Um, there's still stigma around um, hormonal birth control with a lot of the people that I help. So um, I always talk about condoms the most. And I just always tell them like, Condoms are also your best friend, even if you don't want to get pregnant, like even if you're just using them to not get pregnant, they still help to prevent, you know, infections and all of these other things that can happen. It's not just trying to prevent pregnancy because that the anti-teen pregnancy campaign is also like something that's rooted in racism and um, unfortunately, um, sex education came out of a racism, a, a, a racist um, foundation. So I try my best to be more of a life affirming sex educator with them where I talk about, um, hey, if you do use birth control, if you do use condoms or whatever, if it fails, it is not your fault. You know, this is how it is. This is just life. There's some things that don't have ex explanation with perfect use. This is how like the percent that they're supposed to work. But because we're human, this is the typical use. And I, that conversation is probably the most confusing to them because it, and, and it is confusing to me too, because I'm just like, I wish that we just had this perfect foolproof method that existed where, you know, it wasn't complex, but it doesn't exist, you know? So talking to a young person about these things, um, can sometimes be depressing on my end because I'm just like I wish I could just give you something where you're going to be exactly <laughs> where you're just going to be protected until you decide to you know want to have a child if you decide that you know yeah. um, because I see the struggle that they're going through in terms of like also trying to keep it away from their parents or caregivers because they're against abortion or against whatever you know against sex education and so trying to find that avenue as well of like, okay, we need to get you birth control through a different program that doesn't require parental consent. So that's another barrier. So we just, I, I, I definitely work in, um, work at the intersection of all of these barriers where, you know, you, we, I, I have to navigate parental consent laws. I have to navigate that um, shame and stigma. Um, unfortunately, the parental involvement in someone's personal life. Um, some parents are so intense, they monitor their phone, their location, who they talk to. And so they have, they usually have me saved in their phone, you know, as just another school friend or something like that. Um, and if we're, most of the people that I help are obviously getting an abortion. So having to hide from your parents and figure out what to tell them to go to the clinic. Um, and then go to court and then go to the clinic again for the actual abortion. Like all of these things are just like, it's a roller coaster. That's basically. a lot to deal with. And for you as a worker, but as a 
really terrified pregnant teenager who doesn't want to be pregnant that that just seems like massive mountains to have to navigate in order to you know have the the right to choose and you know that's where they're going with it if they're obviously choosing to have an abortion because they're just not ready or financially ready or whatever it doesn't matter why but yeah that's that's absolutely a lot is it is it 16 for an abortion or is it 18 or in um texas it is 18 you have to be 18 to have an abortion um and it's actually the same sorry i don't know why i said texas but it's actually everywhere in the u.s um you have to be 18 to have an abortion without parental consent but every state does have different um regulations so in some states you can be a minor and still just um, have the abortion without parental consent. But some states do add that requirement um, of, no, we want only people who are adults to have abortions. And if you are a minor, it is required for you to get parental consent. And then they add another subsection in there. um, And the parents have to prove they're your parents by bringing a birth certificate and an ID. (laughs) So unfortunately... There are cases where the teens I help do have parental consent, but the parent can't take off of work to go to the clinic and um, provide all of these things and all of that um, because that's money out of their pocket, you know, to live. So they still end up having to go to court as someone who does not have parental consent or if a parent lost a birth certificate, um, they have to go through the whole court process like also it's it's a lot it's, yeah so how long does that whole process take then from from presenting at a clinic and saying okay I want an abortion as maybe a 15 year old and either they do or they don't have consent so if they have to go to court like how long is the whole process the average is usually three weeks um but it can take more for some folks who live in more conservative counties so now we add a different um, rule that says okay if you do go to court you have to go to um the court in your county and every county is different um some are more conservative some are not that conservative but the ones that we struggle with the most are obviously the more um, rural small town folks where um, abortion is very stigmatized. It's super, you know, red tape. And there have been times where it has taken over six weeks for someone to get an abortion because either they got denied. And so we have to go through a whole appeal process and they still have to travel out of their town to go get the abortion. So it, it, also depends where they live. So unfortunately, that is part of the reproductive justice conversation where it should not matter where you live, like, the ability for you to choose should not be determined by your zip code. Absolutely. And six weeks is a long time to be pregnant when you don't want to be pregnant. And if you're trying to conceal it, even, you know, and hide it from parents, like six weeks is a, is a long time. Because considering like most people won't know they're pregnant till maybe like four, five, six, seven weeks or if not longer, that's you're a long way down. And then I suppose it's, it is a delaying tactic by those kind of places that the longer you leave it, the more, you know, either less likely to, you are to have an abortion or less likely you're able to get a late term abortion as well. Exactly. It is absolutely very much a um, a tactic to prevent folks from getting the care that they are seeking. And do teens then, if they don't have parental consent, do they still have access to like post-abortion care, like um, counseling and support, that kind of thing? Yeah, that is part of um, what my job entails. Like once they're done, um, I, I don't just leave them there hanging. Okay, you're done, bye. <laughs> but it's, um, I, I check in with them. Um, and I also kind of like gauge how they're feeling. Sometimes they're tired of everything and they just want to say bye to me. <laughs> Like, you know, I kind of want to close that chapter already, which is totally understandable. But then I do have some folks who um, end up getting very close to me and just like are always checking in like, "Um, this happened. Is this okay?" I'm like, totally fine. Totally normal. You're good. Um, So I I definitely offer support to whoever wants it, to whoever needs it. And I do like to do a few checkups here and there a few weeks after, too. That's an, a nice thing because it is that process and people have all sorts of different feelings afterwards as well. So um, do you get any backlash at the, 
the the clinic maybe you know i know over here we're trying to introduce um zones where you can protest because we've had a lot of religious people stand outside with like coffins and like baby coffins and things like this which is just horrific because it's they've also been outside maternity hospitals where people are going in to get the news that wanted babies are not going to make it so to have to come out and see baby coffins is just absolutely horrific to see Oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. Um, <clears throat> the protester situation is is similar. Um, I when when I worked at the abortion clinic, I did deal with protesters. Um, thankfully, I didn't. I never saw a coffin. <laughs> I don't know what that would have done to my mental health, but um, I always prep my uh, teens and always tell them um, before they go to their appointment or anything like that, like there's all of these things you need to pay attention to grab whatever, but also keep an eye out um, because usually protesters do stand outside of abortion clinics. And I want to mentally prepare you for those things. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it does happen. So um, if you don't want to get noticed or anything like that, um, wear sunglasses, a cap, um, or if, you know, they do say something to you and it makes you feel some type of way, I am just on the other end of the line. You can always text me and we'll talk about it. Most of them, though, are usually fine. They already have made up their minds. Um, they know what they want. They're ready to do it. And for most folks, they always just feel relief afterward once they do get the abortion, which is also um, proven in research that most people do feel relief after an abortion versus um, any other emotion that a lot of anti-choice people like to say like, oh, people who get abortions are going to battle with depression and anxiety afterwards, actually. Yeah, it's it's definitely mostly relief. They've done that over here as well, that research that is, it's relief because yeah, you've just, you've made that decision that this isn't right for me in this circumstance and and you've been able to facilitate that so I think yeah like it absolutely makes perfect sense so I'm really glad to hear that that you have that support there for the the teens or anyone I suppose going into a clinic and having to face those protesters because they can be so vicious or if they're not outright physically or or mentally aggressive they can be very manipulative and and say oh you know if if you if you have the baby we'll pay for it and then they don't and you know they're kind of lured in by these false promises of support that just don't seem to materialize a lot and it just you know it seems very frustrating and and that people would do that and and, you know psychologically coerce people and make all these promises of you know they're not going to give them 18 years of money or pay college fees or anything like that like it's just that's just not going to happen but yeah they're allowed to stand outside these clinics and make those kind of claims and promises and things like that it's very uh, well I'm sure for you as well must be very frustrating It, it it is very infuriating um thankfully with protesters and clinics there are laws where they do have to stand a certain amount of feet away from the clinic. So that that helps in a way, but it can only do so much. Um, I'm not sure how um, y'all deal with crisis pregnancy centers. I'm, I'm sure y'all have. Oh, we have some fake them. ones set up. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, aka fake clinics, um, tend to always be set up close to the abortion clinic so that folks can sort of be manipulated to go there instead because their propaganda is usually like, get your free ultrasound and free pregnancy test here. The word free is very much that tactic to lure people. Uh, lure people in because they know these people are battling with financial stress, all of these things. And that is part, that is another aspect of the reproductive justice conversation, because if these um, services were free, we wouldn't need these clinics to, you know, parade themselves that we can offer all of these services for free and still help you and blah, blah, blah. Um, Whereas unfortunately abortions are not free they do cost money, but, um, I am so grateful for abortion funds and abortion financial assistance programs, because that is the only way that, um, many people have been able to get their, their abortion. And, um, in a way that is one of my favorite type of methods that 
the community just kind of looks out for each other. It's mutual aid. Like um, we are, we are building this world that we envision ourselves by providing financial assistance to each other for their abortions um, so that we don't have to. Uh, so, yeah, so that we don't have to end up getting lured into these TPCs. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're very slick in how they operate. I think a lot of the ones here are funded by American anti-abortion people as well. So they're, they're obviously taking a leaf out of, of your side of things as well, which is just. Oh. But I, I love you know, again, the fact that, yeah, like you said, the community are there and they're, they're crowd, crowdfunding, if that's the right word. Um, but, you know, giving donations and money because it's if you're already struggling, you know, and you're already in part of a poor, marginalized community, but you're still giving over some of your money to help others in the same situation. I think that's a really powerful thing, even though, you know, you can barely afford it yourself, but you know what it's like and you don't want to see other people suffering. And I think that's a really strong part of a lot of marginalized communities. They'll often donate the most rather than rich folks and stuff. So um, you're reminding me as well of the um, the building the world you want to see, the Amanda Palmer song and about throwing in a, not abortion party for your friends, but some, you know, they'll all come over and cookie cake or, you know, like abortion shower. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. And I just, I love that because over here it was something really secretive and shameful. And I remember when I was campaigning on the doors and we opened the doors to people and they were, you know, maybe elderly ish women in their 60s, 70s. And they just would kind of grasp your hand and say, thank you for campaigning. And you could tell that like something had gone on for them, you know, but they just it wasn't the kind of society and culture where you could come forward about something like that. And it just it's lovely to see that there is a song about, hey, look after your friends, bring them over cake and wine and Pinot Grigio and, you know, and, and just mind them. And I just think that's a, such a lovely thing to do. And I think maybe we're a little bit more open with that when it comes to maybe miscarriages or getting a little bit more openly talked about but abortion is is a little bit further down the line but um maybe we can play that song a little bit more and, and expose more people to that concept but absolutely i i um talk about a lot how the best way to combat stigma is simply just talking about the topic um whether that's abortion sex education whatever whatever it is stigmatizing, like talking about it um, at the dinner table, talking about it, like you talk about your favorite song is um, a way to combat stigma and a way to show and prove to your community who may not be as um, forward when it comes to those topics to let them know like, hey, if I were to ever go through this situation, I can talk to this person because of how easily they are talking about the topic, you know, it's not a foolproof method. Obviously everyone's personal shame and stigma is going to affect them specific, like individually, but um, it is a great way to help the folks in your community to know, like you are a resource. You are someone that people can come to when they are about to get an abortion or need something when it comes to those topics. So yeah community support is the best support Ugh. absolutely absolutely and you do a lot of that work yourself and, and through the modern I suppose community of Instagram um of like your posts are all about you know again sexual wellness and centering pleasure in this conversation because pleasure seems to be missing from quite a lot of sex education it's just fear of like don't get pregnant don't get an STI and the pleasure part is missing but pleasure is like why 99% of us have sex you know, we're not trying to get pregnant. We're trying to have an orgasm instead and, and a bit of pleasure. So how do you bring that into your work then as well? Um, with the demographic that I work with, it is, um, thankfully, I don't work for a school district where I have all of these rules and have to, that, that I have to abide by. Um, I work with an independent organization that um, gives me the freedom to talk to um, these young people about anything, however way, as long as it's obviously life affirming and all of that. So when I talk to them about um, birth control, abortion, and all of those things, I always like to come back to, I just need you to remember that this is not your fault. You having sex at 
14, 15, 16, whatever they are, um, is not the problem. It's a societal issue that you didn't get this information to know how to best protect yourself. Or if you did use birth control, um, like understand that this is how sometimes things happen and there's really no reason that you can come up with. Um, because a lot of the time I do have to, um, combat their, their internalized shame and letting them know like, no, 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 don't talk about yourself like that. You didn't do anything wrong. If anything, if you did use birth control, like you did everything right. And this just proves to you, like you can do everything right. And you can still, you know, get pregnant when you don't want to be, or something else happens. Um, and that is why things are not like on that label, it will never say 100% foolproof. And if you do want a 100% foolproof method, the only thing would be abstinence, but obviously that's not going to happen. So the best way um, would be more of a harm reduction strategy, which would be talking about like how to best um, like create a plan to try to prevent this from happening again, but also understanding that if it does happen Again, it is not your fault. It's okay. You deserve pleasure. You deserve to have an orgasm. Um, if all of this is what you want and it's with your consent, you deserve those things. Um, what you also deserve is the education surrounding all of these topics so that you know how to best protect yourself, how to um, make the best decisions for yourself um, so that you know you can protect your body, take care of yourself, and also have pleasure. Absolutely. And it, that just sounds so affirming and, and recognizing, I suppose, the messiness of human experience. You know, I always say sex is messy, humans are messy, like we don't fit into neat theories about human behavior. You know, there's always going to be weird and wonderful outliers and behaviors that we engage in that don't conform to logic or you know whatever so we have that and then we have medication that can fail and you know human desire and all like teenage brains that don't we're kind of think of the future sometimes so all that combines into like accidents can easily happen you know it's it's that's just a regular part of life and sometimes it's just unlucky like just literally being unlucky and like you said you can do everything the right way and and things can still happen I wonder in that case do do people think oh like am I being punished for having sex this kind of thing because I think sometimes maybe the stigma and like you said like the way they talk about themselves sometimes that it can be quite difficult to kind of break through that that negative negative I suppose self reflection Absolutely. And that is exactly why I mentioned that part, because um, most of the time when that internalized shame is happening um, and, and they're talking from that part of themselves, um, it is coming from from that point of view, like, oh, my family is religious. And um, I was told in church that, you know, God always um, makes things happen for a reason. So maybe this happened because, you know, God is punishing me. Um, and so I, I try my best to meet them where they're at. I can't tell, I, I can't just go, well, first off, God doesn't exist. So no, <laughs> like I try my best to always meet them where they're at. And I come from a religious, um, background as well, where my family was very conservative and I kind of use that personal experience to get to them where I talk to them. Like I was also told all of those things when I was younger and it is still a journey to understand that, you know, humans are going to human every single time, you know, and um, the best way to navigate the situation is to have the most compassion for yourself. And, um, and if you can't do that for yourself, that's why I'm here. And I'm going to help you through that process until um, you can get to that parting of your journey. It may not be now because most of the time they're just focused on trying to study for court, making sure that they have everything they need to get the approval. You know, their, their mind is um, in tunnel vision, just trying to get the abortion, you know, where they, so they can't technically focus on their emotions and all of that until after. And so that's part of like my post checkup, like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, 
And like I said, most of them usually say that they are relieved. Um, and then I still have a few that do feel some type of way. And we talk about it and just reminding them, hey, um, if you do feel that you still um, like have that religious aspect of it, always remember that um, God still loves you regardless if you have an abortion or not. And abortions have happened from the beginning of time and will continue to happen. And God knows about the first abortion that has ever happened on earth. And we'll know about, you know, the last abortion that will ever happen on earth. So you are not the first nor the last. And thankfully there are, um, uh, abortion positive organizations that are filled with clergy and I like to refer them to that um, org usually and let them um, speak with a minister of their specific religion um, or spirituality. Um, and a few have taken me up on that. And it has helped a lot. Like having that community of just having someone to talk to is so important. And so that's why um, one of my biggest models in sex education is like talking about it and just having someone to talk about anything and everything is a big way to, you know, um, combat against from shame to stigma, but also help one's mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's where the trauma side comes in. It's not necessarily the abortion itself. It's the keeping it silent. It's the lying to people because you have to sneak around and, you know, get money or stay off school or whatever happens to be. But also the trauma of like having to go to court, having to wait six weeks, having, you know, to be pregnant longer than you want to be, you know, and, and you, all the time, you know, things are growing, you're, you're on it time limit basically so the stress and panic and you can see how all that combines and then if you're bringing in like religious trauma and societal stigma on top of all that it's just that's a lot for a person to go through so you, you can definitely see the relief of like a the actual pregnancy but b the the societal and the procedural and the court thing is now over it just like it just seems like you could remove half of that trauma if the process was a lot easier for people and not damage people so much Exactly. That just goes to show you how powerful stigma can be, unfortunately, and shame. Yeah, as an Irish person, we definitely know all about that. So do you think things are getting a little bit easier with the, you know, maybe with the Internet of, you know, I know schools in, in the area maybe not providing the kind of sex education you'd like to see and we, we know that's the case in many places around the world but things like the internet can maybe pr step in and provide that up-to-date inclusive objective sex education you know things like your instagram or things such as you know very you know predominant sexual health websites do you think that those are making a bit of a difference in the empowerment of young people or is it just hard to even get them to those resources? Maybe they're not even aware that that could be resources. Um, so yes and no that all of those things can be helpful but also can be detrimental because the internet is just like a black hole of information also. You know, you can get sucked into the right information but also it's a propaganda right and it's hard to discern what is um uh, what what information to trust and not many people have those skills to understand like you know who is the writer who um what mission does this organization have you know all like all of those things matter and um while there are a lot of great resources out there, it's the part of getting people to those resources that's kind of difficult because then you also kind of get stuck in this new algorithm that Facebook has created um, as well, which it, it, it can be a good algorithm for a lot of things, but it can be detrimental to topics like ours, like abortion and sex ed, because um, unfortunately, as we just saw this past December, it, Facebook is becoming more and more, in my personal words, like puritanical. And I'm just like, is this, is Facebook becoming church? What, what's happening? <laughs> um, and so the algorithm can be a good thing for some stuff, but when it comes to sex education, it's just not hitting where we want it to hit. And unfortunately, if you're not 18, it's obviously going to block a lot of this information from those demographics. Um, and thankfully there, there are ways to kind of target 
young people if if that's what we want to do. Um, but it's also having the resources to be able to target those demographics. Like you also need money for Facebook ads and all of those things, you know? And ads um, that they like most likely will not approve either because there's a hint of sex to them. And yeah. Exactly. And you have to phrase things a certain way and then you get trolls and all of that. And honestly, trolls are probably the easiest thing for me and for our organization to handle. It's usually the legislation surrounding it and the um the the internet like just control trying trying to um you know prevent folks from getting this information because it's actual education but it's not seen that way and yeah it's so ridiculous like it is education that changes our whole society for the better and oh look one day hopefully we will get there in that place but I'm really glad that, you know, even like tonight, you're taking that time to talk to me because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening and who may never have heard of the concept of reproductive justice, especially the way, you know, you're explaining it there. And especially like in Ireland where abortions new, you know, officially new anyway, it's on two years, but we have a review of the legislation coming up this year and we're going to have a lot of anti-abortion folks kind of getting a lot more vocal as well. So I think it would be nice to, make sure we're not repeating the mistakes of the past of not being inclusive, but also arguing for abortion care is that, that like you were saying, the low bar, you know, it should be the whole factor of reproductive justice as a whole. So um, it's such an important concept to, to have. So where can people go if they want to learn more about it? So you said it was um, Sisterhood, Sister Song. Uh, so um, if y'all just go to Sister Song dot, um, let me, sistersong.net so okay sistersong.net perfect and where can people find you if they want to contact you because you are awesome so we kind of point people to your direction um my instagram is at sex ed with irma perfect and you post like really lovely accessible content so it's 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 a nice well-informed page so that's always nice to have for people so um thank you so much for chatting to me today we might have to come back to you once our review is up and running over here and seeing where we're going on that but um i'm very grateful people like you exist in the world and doing the work that you're doing and helping people when you know when it's a really difficult time and a stressful time and i'm super glad it's you doing it because you're just this lovely calm informed relatable person so i think that's really nice for someone who's in a crisis state to have so um thank you for being you and for being awesome and thank you for also being you i love your content <laughs> i am always um girl fan girl fan over here <laughs> and um i also want to say thank you for having me on the show i'm so glad we had this opportunity to chat you're awesome no, thank you it's like team awesome here it's like a big love in it's fine <laughs> no, no worries um thank you and listen thanks Emil, to all my listeners as well i really hope that you've taken away something from this conversation if you're based in ireland i know the abortion rights campaign are looking for new volunteers to get involved because we do have a review of our legislation coming up soon so you can find them online if you google them they should come up and um, if you have any questions just send me a dm it's on twitter and instagram it's aclo west podcast or you can send um i suppose any kind of tweet communication will go to them that that's where you'll get me there so thanks mil for listening and i'll chat to you next week